Welcome to BrokenCast episode 9. Um, this week we are talking with an indie developer from Chicago, Illinois. I am Fiona Fox. And I'm Ray Michelle Richards, editor-in-chief of BrokenJoysticks.net. And joining us today is... Neil Shanner. And uh, we're going to talk today about uh, your newest game, which is uh, uh, called, and please forgive me for butchering the pronunciation, Sofu Lit La Tofan maybe? Yes, Sofu Lit La Tofan Mine. Okay, and that is in Icelandic. Uh, yes, although the game isn't. But the... Hopefully the game is in English. <laughs> uh, and it, that translates out to Sleep My Little Fox, or as you told me earlier, perhaps better translates to... Uh, like Sleep Tight My Little Fox, or Sleep Well. Okay. And uh, you're actually just back uh, this last couple weeks ago from the Queerness in Games conference, where did you show your your product there, or did did you show the game there, or was it just because you, were, you are a developer and you went there to represent... I showed a different game. It was actually sort of the first game that I released publicly, um, and I had it uh, there. It's called All Tomorrow's Parties, and it was an autobiographical game. Um, and then I was also on a panel of sort of people who were in the arcade showing there, um, and I sort of talked a little bit about both um, sort of the circumstances of when I made that game and then why I've sort of been doing things a bit different since... Um, I released that game. Okay, well, let's talk about that first game first, then. Um, so you took that first game with you. It was an autobiographical and a similar Twine game, right? Yeah, it was made in Twine. Um, all of the... Well, I guess not all of the games, but all the games I've made have been very uh, heavy on the written word. Um, and most of them have been in Twine. Um, one of them was actually just sort of a tabletop um, rule set, although it was a very simple rule set, but... Uh, but yeah, that game I had there, All Tomorrow's Parties, um, was built in Twine, um, and it was sort of about the uh, process that you go through when you're sort of when you figure out that you're trans, and then you go back through your memories and you're trying to figure out why you didn't know sooner. Uh, but then, sort of, the end point being that that's sort of a futile act, and that it doesn't really change your present anyways. So why are you trying to prove this to yourself? Um, but yeah, so I had that there um, and showed it and talked about it. Um, but then since then, I've been sort of moving away from doing uh, autobiographical work like that. Um, and Or when I do, it's more focused on these ways that I do sort of uh, self-healing. Like, um, I have this game about where I'm basically just teaching you how to cook and why that's sort of therapeutic for me. So. That's really interesting. So that game you took to that to the Queer Nation Games Conference, which you've already told me earlier, is more like an academic conference than a game convention. So you just give us a little bit about what it was like to be at a, a place that was basically full of queer people in games. Um, yeah, it was great. That was my second year that I went. Uh, the first year I sort of just went um, as an attendee. Uh, it's in uh, Berkeley. It was put on by served at a department of the University of uh, California in Berkeley. Um, and so, yeah, the, they sort of have this focus on uh, bringing academics and developers together. Um, so it's sort of the on-conference model, if, if people are familiar with it. Um, if not, it's sort of um, 
trying to be more accessible than the the typical academic conference you might go to. Um, and there's certain things that they do differently. Um, there's a lot more workshops um, that happen where people can actually take part. Um, and there's also these things called micro-talks where sort of anyone can sign up. Um, and actually often by the end of the micro-talk it's just whoever wants to kind of just stands up and speaks and you talk for about five minutes about anything you want. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's a really great space. It's the only uh, sort of queer games thing that I've gone to. Um, I haven't been to Gamer X, which just happened. Um, I would like to go there sometime, but I haven't been. Um, yeah, I, I didn't make it this year to Gamer X either. Uh, one of the problems being that it's, you know, so far away. But yeah. I definitely think that the, both of them create really exciting spaces for, for queer people and, and to kind of carve out our own niche in gaming. I mean, there's so much uh, so much against already the idea of, of our type of people in gaming. And, you know, gaming is this old white boys club, and which it is absolutely not, of course. But this kind of idea and these, these conventions and these academic events push back against that, which is really cool. Yeah, and it's, it's also just great meeting people um, at events like that and sort of getting to, to know other people who are doing stuff um, that are sort of both related to games and queerness um, and sort of making friendships. So a lot of the people who I know in the industry have primarily been uh, from going to QGCon, um, the Queerness and Games Conference. Super cool. All right, so you only showed, uh, you didn't show this game that we're actually here to talk about today at all uh, at the conference, so we're kind of getting a bit of exclusivity, um, but let's let's just stick on the conference for a minute, and uh, I think Ray has at least one question for you on the conference. You want to go ahead, Ray? Uh, my question was going to be, um, when did you just, like, kind of decide that um, games were the narrative that you wanted to kind of tell your stories in? Um... Yeah, I actually talked about that a little bit at the conference, too, because it was sort of some of the circumstances um, surrounding uh, All Tomorrow's Parties, uh, being that I sort of made it um, in reaction to Gamergate before Gamergate even really had a name. Um, it was part of this thing called Ruin Jam. Um, and actually, I had sort of wanted to, to do video games in part just because um, I've played games growing up um, all of my life, but when that uh, sort of happened, then I was forced to think, do I actually really want to be in this environment? Um, and my decision has sort of been that I, I want to create art, and some of that art is going to be games. Um, but I like, I've also just been doing um, like more traditional uh, fiction writing. Um, so I submitted uh, a piece to the Topside Press call for speculative fiction. Um, if you're unfamiliar with Topside, they're sort of a transcendric uh, indie publisher of uh, written work. Uh, their best-known work being Nevada uh, by Imogen Binney. But oh yes, I, we are. I think all familiar with that one. Yeah, really not. But I'm familiar with Topside. I'm just not familiar with that particular work. Oh right, I'll have to buy wow. you Nevada for Christmas. <laughs> Consider yourself Christmas gifted. Yeah, my I think my actually my favorite from Topside is um, A Safe Girl to Love by Casey Platt which I definitely recommend people read. Um, it's a collection of short stories, but they're pretty much all fabulous. Um, it is on my Kindle. It's on my list to, to do. Yeah, so that that's awesome. Um, I'll move the topic a little bit over to the game, I guess. Uh, so this game is completely based out of your favorite mythology, you said, which is that Icelandic mythology. 
Yeah, it's sort of, um, especially, like, I guess I use more of the word folklore. Because um, often when people speak about mythology in relation to Iceland, it's sort of the Old Norse uh, mythology. Um, and there is a little bit that's sort of reaching back into that. Um, it hasn't come up in the demo that I released yet, but there is going to be a part that's written in uh, Attic verse, which is sort of the really old form um, that a lot of the Norse myths that we actually do have are preserved in this really old form of poetry. Um, it's sort of a conversation that one of the characters is going to have with a ghost will take form and uh, take part entirely in this old poetic form. That's really cool. I actually, um, I took a in college. I took a class on Tolkien literature, which like Tolkien basically just completely robbed like Icelandic and other Nordic right. literature blind to write Lord of the Rings. Like he literally just took it all. <laughs> yeah, he he studied a lot and referenced it really heavily, um, especially the Silmarillion, which is sort of the the base of a lot of the mythology in the other books. Uh, right, which is what we read, and you know, it was really cool. And we also read some Icelandic mythology as well, or some Icelandic folklore, I suppose would be a better word. You're right about that. Some Icelandic folklore as well. And uh, to read it, was it was difficult to read, but it was certainly rewarding and uh, and different. I mean, to, coming from a classical Greek and Roman mythology base, uh, Icelandic might as well be... You know, completely is you know completely dissimilar. There's no similarities really between them. I don't think. Yeah, there's there's a lot less of that um, sort of soap opera, who's sleeping with who, kind of drama. I mean, there there's definitely a few little flings that happen in Norse mythology and stuff. But especially when they, you then get into the folklore, um, where it's sort of about these ghosts and um, a lot of these sort of mythical beings. Um, a lot more of it is sort of, um, especially the folklore, is I think more about dealing with issues of death um, or like darkness or difficulties that we face in our life um, and sort of trying to make sense of it. Um, so it's a lot less the, the sort of Greco-Roman who's uh, Zeus trying to seduce this week. Uh, my next question is kind of... Um... Um, just, uh, I know some of our readers and even me personally are always interested in game creation. It's something I've tried and failed at. Um, but uh, what kind of tools are you using uh, to tell this new game's story? Because you said that you've made Twine games before. So is this also Twine game? or? Uh, yeah, this one is also in Twine. Um, yeah, so there's only one game that I've done that hasn't used Twine um, in some way. Um, and uh, that one was basically just sort of a, a tabletop experience. Um, although I wouldn't, I wouldn't really compare it with D and D or something. It's it's a, a lot simpler rule set. Um, but that's sort of just laying out the rules for people to to play the game by um, written out. So yeah, I haven't done much with anything like Unity or those uh, more maybe traditional. Um, game design tools, although I do have some ideas for if I ever get into them. Uh, so th this brings us to, to an interesting question, and, and feel free to decline to answer if you'd like. It's kind of a point of contention amongst many, many people. Do you think that Twine games should be considered in the same house as graphical games? Um, yeah, it is sort of a... I, I do think they're in some ways different. Um, I, I would sort of include them in the same house, but then I guess as a creator, often when I'm deciding what to call something, um, I'm mostly approaching it as um, 
if I call this a game or if I call this uh, fiction or a poem or something, what I'm calling it is inviting the person to approach it from a different angle. And so it's more what angle do I want someone to approach the work that I am making. And when I say game, then I... Um, in relation to something like Twine, where there's not a lot of interactivity, there's a little bit, um, but then I'm sort of encouraging them to focus more on what they are in control of, um, so that often when I'm sort of making a game, it is about this idea of um, what can you, or, you know, what what is the control here, or what is the my sort of agency in this world, and I want you to sort of consider that to some extent. So I'm going to have a weeb moment here, and I'm just going to go ahead and bring up VNs. Um, you know, there's a lot of media outside of the United States that exists uh, that are basically visual novels, like in Japan. I mean, a visual novel, sometimes it doesn't even have choices. I mean, a lot of times you can go through an entire visual novel, and it's just a storybook that you're just clicking through. With, yeah. You know, and, and that's still considered a game. So I fully consider Twine games, Twine to be games. I mean, I, I say Twine games. It's not even like, it doesn't even occur to me that, it, that something that's made in Twine would be considered not a game because it doesn't have the agency of choice. But I think it's a really interesting idea to think of it the way that you, you just described it, where to, just, to call something a game means that you're coming at it with an agency of choice. Whereas opposed to maybe like a storybook, where you know you're you're, necess- you're being you're sitting as a, as following you know you're you're following a narrator, but you have no control over the narrator. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. So uh, give us a quick rundown of the story of this game, if you don't mind. And it, it not it's just gonna spoil too much. Don't spoil super too much, but just a quick rundown of the story. Um. Yeah. So I'll I'll at least um talk about sort of uh, a base of what's in the demo. Um, uh, basically, it's sort of um, it, I, it's influenced a lot by sort of the magical realism too in a lot of uh, Icelandic folklore, um, and so there's a lot of stuff that is sort of intentionally um, the the way I approach magical realism is this idea of hesitation. I think it's really the big defining thing about it. Um, Whereas I think a lot of people think of magical realism and it's sort of magic and realism in a more uh, like direct way and that I think really the point of it is to hesitate between sort of what is magical that's happening and what's real, the sort of two explanations you have for what's happening, and to not be sure of which is correct. Um, so there's a lot of stuff happening in the story that could either sort of be just uh, maybe nightmares that the character is having or just like the effects of stress or something or that could be these actual magical occurrences Um, and I don't really want to make it clear or decide because to me it's sort of both almost Um, and I want to like hold both as possibilities Um, but so the basic plot is that um, you're playing as this girl who's essentially just come into sort of the the year of adulthood uh, for rural Iceland at the time, which is set in about uh, circa 1900. And uh, the farm that your family owns is falling into disrepair uh, because your father has fallen sick and your mother has now gone into the city to look for work. Um, and then there's sort of this catastrophic event um, where there's black, uh, black snow falling and everything. Um, and sort of her whole life is being thrown into upheaval. Um, it's sort of a lot of the stuff referencing is referencing to like a volcanic eruption, which was a major 
um, a major source of worry for a lot of rural Icelanders for a long time because uh, it would really kill a lot of your crops and your livestock. Here comes um, my fun question. Can you pronounce the Icelandic volcano? Uh, oh my god, that's awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> no hesitation yeah. at all. Um, but yeah, so and so her sort of trying to deal with the grief of the stuff that's happening um, and sort of where the demo ends is about where you're going to start uh, actually going out to try and find your mother um, and sort of figure out how to, to deal with um, everything sort of collapsing around you. Um, but yeah, and so a lot of it is also referencing these, um, I sort of the subtitle, A Lullaby, um, because a lot of traditional Icelandic lullabies um, were sort of written knowing and being fully aware that there's a high child mortality rate in Iceland at the time, and often it was particularly bad in winter or it would be really cold. Um, so a lot of the songs, there's sort of this blurry line between are you actually telling the, the child to sleep in just like the normal lullaby sense, or is this like an elegy or something that you would sing after the child died during the funeral where you're sort of telling them to sleep in the more like uh, euphemistic for death um, sense. So a lot of them have this sort of darkness and they also deal a lot with the winter because that was the time when a lot of um, both where it would be dark a lot of the time and also there would be a lot so higher likelihood of death. So. Super, super spooky. So it's, it's kind of almost framed as like a Dark. It's not like a horror. I don't want to call it a horror game, but it's it's a sort of a dark experience. It sounds like it's a, you're really treading some some ground here that is um, not the typical. I don't think uh, you know ground that is tread by by most twine games or most visual novels. Um, definitely getting into kind of a almost existential exploration of life here, I guess, and life and death on the frontier in 1900 uh, in Iceland. It's a yeah. it's a quite a, quite a hefty undertaking. I think you're uh, you're really you're trying to show something I don't think that's ever been shared or shown really before, in, in at least in this medium. Yeah, it's, um, like, especially when I think of a lot of the stuff that I'm drawing from, um, both, obviously, the, the folklore that I've mentioned, but also, like, the writing of Hadeldor Laxness, who's the Nobel laureate from Iceland, uh, who wrote primarily in the first half of the um, 20th century, uh, primarily about sort of the life of peasants, um, and so a lot of the stuff that I'm really drawing for for this game are very literary, um, and the way that I'm trying to make the the passages flow in Twine are a little bit different than most Twine games because I want to simulate that sense of sort of the page continuing to fill as you read. Um, so I only, as you click, it sort of continues to just add more text at the bottom until you would sort of reach a change of scene or a new chapter or something, and then it will actually take it to the new page, like blank page, and continue on. Um, so it's really a narrative experience, then? Yeah. And, again, just this, like, this very literary um, quality that I'm trying to give it, um, especially when I was at uh, QGCon, one of the things that multiple people sort of complimented my game on, too, was that I had longer passages than you'll often see in Twine. Um, it would sort of take up the entire screen. You might even have to scroll down. Um, and often in Twine you'll see these very short passages and they often tend to work well in, 
entwined. They have these short passages, but a lot of people said the way that you write is sort of literary enough, or that you like get pulled in enough that it's okay that it's really long. Um, and so I'm hoping that will also sort of happen with with this game too, where um, even though you're not sort of constantly clicking on little things and it's these short little passages, um, it's maybe that a lot of a lot of twine games I think are very poetic in like the uh, structure of poems, not just in sort of the way that they phrase things, but that they're a lot of very quick, short um, images, and that sort of what I'm trying to do with some of these games, especially this one, is to sort of have something that's a bit more like a novella or um, short story. Or, um, it's, it's maybe a bit longer than your typical short story, so I'd say like a novella or maybe even a, a small novel. So this is kind of my last question before um, uh, our wrap-up is, um, so the indie game community, at least like the indie game community that, like, on Facebook and Twitter, on, like, social media is rather small, and then, like, the trans indie game community, obviously that would be um, smaller than that. Um, so is there anyone in um, the indie game community or the trans indie game community that kind of inspired you to start developing games or that you kind of look up to or that you work with on games? Um, I, w I would like to work with more people in the future. Um, I actually have a talk that I hope I am able to give at different games if they will have me, um, where that's going to be one of the things I'm going to sort of talk about as a potential thing, uh, that especially queer games or like alt games is this even smaller than the broader indie game idea um, with sort of to really focus on collaboration between people because I think that's really great, especially in small um, sort of communities, creator communities. Um, but I guess the two people who have sort of inspired my work the most, um, one is Merit Kopas. Um, a lot of her Twine games, um, playing her Twine games are sort of the thing that made me realize that I could actually do games now with my ability to write um, without having to sort of do a lot of learning for advanced coding. Um, there are some game ideas that will definitely necessitate that, that I'll have to learn how to, or find a programmer, um, how to do them. But to sort of see the potential of Twine, it was definitely uh, the work of Merit Kopas. And um, then uh, the AVB, um, her her games, um, like Removed, is just this really wonderful game um, that has this very evocative style of writing um, that I find really interesting. And uh, then her more recent game, We Know the Devil, is also just um, really fabulously written. And uh, definitely, uh, as she has a bit different writing style than me, but I feel like she has sort of a similar interest in this magical realist um, I don't know if she would necessarily approach or th describe it that way, but sort of this um, hesitation between this more logical real world explanation for what's happening um, and then this sort of strange surreal or magical um, explanation or, or existence that's being shown in her world. So 
when we do love, we know the devil. Uh, we actually, one of our writers actually uh, did a, a review on that, a pretty extensive review. Uh, Hoodie Joy did a review on that one. It was a great, uh, great read, uh, really interesting read. I haven't played it myself yet, but Hoodie loved it, and uh, can't really, I really can't wait to play it. So I'd like to close with one last question, uh, and this one is probably going to be a longer answer, so feel free to expound upon it and uh, everything. If I was to be someone who had never written a game before, who had never started gaming, who had never started programming a game before, never done anything in the gaming industry, and I came up to you and said, I want to share my narrative stories with the world. I, I feel like I have a story and, a, and a, something to share with everyone. What would be the piece of, one piece of advice that you would give me if you were to say, you know, okay, here's where you start? Um, yeah, I guess... The, the big thing I would say is just to really think about, um, like you sort of said, like a story or narrative, which I think is already getting at a, a certain angle, but if someone wants to sort of create something, um, sort of what, what do you want to be the heart of it or what do you want people to really interact with? Um, and that if it is sort of this, this story or this more narrative aspect, then definitely start with something like Twine because uh, it's very easy to work in uh, especially if you want some level of interactivity, or even just do uh, short stories. Um, but if you're more interested in having people interact with complex systems, um, which a lot of people who want to create games in particular are sort of interested in uh, a system that you want someone to interact with, uh, start with, like, tabletop stuff. Um, before you try and get into programming, especially if you don't know much computer programming, uh, because it's so much easier to just write the rules to tell someone what to do in, like, a role-playing game. Um, and there, there are a lot of great small, uh, like, indie role-playing games that you can look to as a reference, um, or even sort of to build, like, a board game or something. Um, but it's just so much more easy to explain to a human being what the rules of your game is, if it's going to be a system, than it is to explain to a computer and tell it how to represent that and not be filled with bugs and all sorts of weird things that will be a nightmare for you. Um, so yeah, especially if, if you're early on, I recommend just... If, if you don't know how to talk to computers, don't... Focus on the, the other aspects of sort of this design that you want to do rather than the, the frustration. Don't, don't try and uh, you'll be frustrated <laughs> and fail. All right. I yeah. will, uh, that is a good piece of advice. Okay, uh, well... My, I guess my one other thing of advice, because a lot of people, especially with games... A lot of people are very nervous about releasing their first game. And the thing I like to say, um, and it's how I try to approach some of my own design too, is that the first game that you release is probably not by a long shot the first game you made. You're just not thinking about all the games that you invented as a child as part of this lineage, and you should start thinking about that. That I think you've been playing far longer than than you maybe think you have. And you've been designing games far longer than you maybe think you have. Uh, because you do it so much as a child. You, we just divide out our childhood from our adulthood so much. Um, and I think it's actually sort of important to look back somewhat at... Um, like this game I'm designing right now, so if you let Latofen mean... Uh, it's changed a lot, but the core of it I came up with after I played Chrono Cross when I was 12. So... <laughs> um, it was far. It would have been far different if I'd made it then. But the some of the core ideas go all the way back to that. So, 
Well, that, that's a beautiful uh, beautiful sentiment, I think, to end the podcast on. Um, I think that's a great piece of advice, and to remember that, you know, that first piece is, is just one one piece. You've already made a thousand others in your head. So I think that's, that's beautiful. Um, so with that, we'll go ahead and we'll close out. Thank you very much for joining us today, Nev, and um, hopefully we can have you on again after the successful release of the game whose name I, whose name I can't pronounce. <laughs> Where can, where can our listeners download your demo? Um, so it would be on my uh, itch.io, um, and my username on there is Siontofa, which is, again, Icelandic, but uh, spelled S-J-O-N-T-O-F-A, which is also my Twitter handle. Um, and I think, uh, so I think it's like siontofa.itch.io slash lullaby-demo. Um, can you give us the Twitter one more time? Yes, S-J-O-N-T-O-F-A. All right, thank you so much for joining us. Ray, sign us out. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the latest episode of Broken Cast.